Hey, good afternoon. Happy November to you guys. It is Monday, November 1st. I'm Gabe DeArmond. We'll talk to Mitchell Forty in a minute. This is the weekend recap brought to you by True Sun Exteriors and Interiors every single Monday. And um, it has maybe not been a football season to remember thus far. But everyone is still soldiering on, and True Sun Exteriors and Interiors is your place to look if you need anything done around your house. It, it doesn't have to be a major project. Um, if, if you have major product projects, that's great. They can redo your rooms. They can build an entire addition to your house. They can do all sorts of things, but they can also do just minor jobs for you that Let's be honest, maybe you're too lazy to do. It's kind of cold. Maybe you don't want to do stuff outside uh, to the outside of your house. So True Sun Exteriors and Interiors voted uh, the best in home remodeling in Columbia by Inside Columbia Magazine in 2021. You can get a hold of them at 573-442-7292 or on the internet at truesunexterior.com. Uh, they are big Mizzou fans, uh, great local business, and we would certainly encourage you guys to support them as we encourage you to support all of our sponsors, uh, rebuilding projects, certainly front and center all season long here on this show. And uh, welcome to the Weekend Recap, the show that's never been a 37 and a half point underdog to anything on Monday afternoon. <laughs> so... Um, We'll talk about Georgia, Missouri eventually, I guess, maybe this week, Mitch, but I, I don't think I can do it quite yet. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, this is the weekend recap. we got to at least talk a little bit about Missouri's game against Vanderbilt, even though I think we were both fairly disgusted that we had to watch that instead of some of the other college football that was on Saturday. I'm, I'm not saying this happened, but if you accused me of focusing more on the end of Michigan, Michigan State than the first quarter of Missouri Vanderbilt. I also would not tell you that you're 100% wrong in that. Yeah, it was not aesthetically pleasing. pleasing. Um, you know, you know Mizzou, Mizzou did win, which is good. good. I mean, I mean better, better than the alternative. Yeah. First, first SEC win, win which is good. good. Better, better than the alternative. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was another, another win in what seems like a long lineup of this season where no one even comes away feeling very good, I don't think. Yeah, I was thinking, I answered some questions for our Georgia guys uh, this morning, and it occurred to me, was this Missouri's best win? Like, is this the best team Missouri's beaten this year? I'm not even joking. Is this the best team Missouri's beaten? I, I, I got to think, think Central, Central Michigan is better than Vanderbilt. I don't know. Vanderbilt's <laughs> impossibly bad. Like, they're, they're, they're rough. So, so I, don't I don't know. know. I, I mean, I, you were, we're talking, talking about, we were talking briefly before the show about the Sagrid ratings and Vanderbilt being in the 150s. I feel like Central Michigan's probably better, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, and those are football rankings, not bad. When when I initially heard that, I assumed it was basketball ratings. That is that is not correct. I mean, Central Michigan's like, I think they're like four and four. They're 500-ish, okay. you know, so okay. I guess that's okay. Um, I, I still would agree that Central Michigan is probably the best team Missouri has beaten, but I guess we've always said, like, you can have a pretty good season just by beating bad teams and beating the teams you're supposed to. Well, that's not really the case for Missouri because if they just – although if they just beat bad teams, they're going to be 5-7. and seven. Like, that's all right. they have to do is beat bad teams. You can beat one – mediocre team and make a bowl game 
Right. right. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think the best chance to do that would have been, you know, I mean, Arkansas is nothing incredibly special, but coming in, we kind of thought, oh, they could beat bad teams and get to six and six because we thought Tennessee was going to be a little worse than they are, and obviously thought Mizzou would, you know, not absolutely lay an egg in that game. Right. But yeah, I yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just like you said in your ten thoughts this morning. There's just not really a whole lot to get get fired up about other than the recruiting. And that's that's the thing, like. I, I really don't think most Missouri fans were asking for too much this year. I think everybody would have been happy with eight and four. I think even most people would have been satisfied with seven and five and signs of progress and just, I know partly it's the Tennessee game still kind of just really um, kind of darkening the way we, we talk about everything that's happened since then, but I think as a fan, all you want to do is feel like you're part of it, right? Feel like you're part of this sport. Like college football Saturdays, or last Saturday was actually still really fun. I mean, Michigan-Michigan State was a great game. Georgia-Florida wasn't a great game, but it's a big deal. Ohio State-Penn State was pretty good. You know, there were there was all this stuff to watch all over the country. And when you're following a team like Missouri is, especially when they play a Vanderbilt, but truthfully, even some of the other times this season, it just kind of feels like you're not really a part of the whole thing. And that that's not fun. Yeah, I agree. And also when, you know, we're talking about a season where, yeah, the wins have come over, you know, two group of five teams, an FCS team and Vanderbilt, which, you know, is as bad as any of them. And, and none of them were, was Mizzou really like, I mean, they, they dominated CEO, but that doesn't really count. But uh, talking about the three wins over FBS teams, like that, they weren't really, I mean, like those games were somewhat in doubt at various points in time. North Texas wasn't really, they were up 41-17, but they did get both but, in, I think like 10 points or something like that. Right. So yeah, it's like, like you can't even see, say like, okay, well, at least we're like a whole lot better than that team. We really, right. you know, played a good, a full four quarter game and blew them off. There's like after every win, I really think the tenor of our message board, which again, isn't maybe the best way to judge these things, but it's what we have was more negative than positive. Well, but that's how I felt after North Texas and Vanderbilt, not so much central Michigan because it was game one. And I thought central Michigan would be better than they are and, and whatever. But especially after this one, I mean, I fully believe if and maybe you can explain to me what in God's name Vanderbilt was doing on the final play of the first half. I refuse to call it a Hail Mary because like there was nothing Hail Mary-ish about it. It was just like, oh, hey, Kiki Chisholm's wide open. I'm going to throw him the ball from 45 yards away. Like it was just like this routine touchdown you see all the time against bad teams. But I truly believe without that play, Missouri loses to Vanderbilt. And that's horrifying yeah that's it's very possible yeah the the defensive strategy there Clark Lee is supposed to be a defensive guy first of all only rushing two like I don't know I get it I think that, that I would actually I've, I've said this before not on here but like if I was playing I would rush four against Hail Mary just because yeah like the the if the ball never gets to the end zone right. like you're you're for sure not going to complete it whereas even if you have 10 guys back there if the ball gets there weird things can happen the best way to assure it's not going to happen is if you make sure it doesn't get there and i think there was i forget which game i was watching yesterday maybe it was the the la- the game last night between the uh the the uh, uh who was it the cowboys and vikings like they 
Kirk Cousins got flushed out of the pocket. He couldn't even get the ball in, so he right. just kind of threw it away. So, yeah, like I would do that. But also, yeah, then the defensive back, just he just kind of stopped running. Kiki Chisholm got like 10 yards behind him, and he was trying to get back, and then he, Kiki Chisholm just kind of took it off his helmet. Nice, I mean, good, good catch for Chisholm. But, yeah, that was uh, that was just fair, pretty much incompetence. It was like watching Dance Orson try to cover Dawson Knox. All of a sudden, just in the middle of the play, he's like, what if I just ran over toward the sideline and hung out here for a minute? How would that go? It was bizarre. I mean, I could not believe. I didn't realize it live, but then they showed the replay, and I'm like, well, I, I don't. It's literally the only thing you can't do there. Um, right, yeah. Uh, speaking of the only thing that you can't do, and look, we are – the main focus has been the quarterback stuff, and – Clearly, I think it's still fair to say Connor Bazelak has gotten too much heat for the last four weeks, but the heat has been deserved uh, to some some of it. Not not maybe to the extent it's it's been given, but I, I looked at because I kind of had this theory on Saturday, like something broke in him with the overtime interception against Boston College, and so I looked at it. The numbers are stunning like he is he's going from 10 touchdowns and two interceptions to three and six he's completing the same percentage almost of his passes but he's averaging a yard and a half less per pass attempt I think some of it's physical but I think it would be good to start somebody else this week just because I think he's kind of broken confidence wise yeah no I, I kind of agree so my, my thing on Bazelak is I, I think that he got way too much heat for the Kentucky loss and probably even the Boston College loss, even though that last throw was bad. I mean, they, did, they don't have a chance to win without him in those games. Um, and that started, you know, this narrative of like, oh, I don't think he's the guy, whatever. And we pushed back on it at the time. But I think you have to be willing to, you know, acknowledge, like change your stance as more data is, is you yes. know, presented to us. And he's not been good enough in the past few weeks. I'm not saying he's not the guy definitively because we've seen him be better than he has the past few weeks. But, yeah, something's wrong. I mean, physical, mental, probably both. Um, he, he just, yeah, he does not look comfortable at all in the pocket. He certainly doesn't look comfortable moving with the ball in his hands at any point. You know, he just he, he made some uncharacteristic mental mistakes. I mean, that interception was terrible. Yeah, that was I mean, one thing and, you cannot do in the red zone, throwing off his back foot. The defensive back didn't even move. He just was standing. He just literally stood right up there. And, God, I just knocked over my microphone. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's just, you know, and then the, the slide, obviously a yard short snapping the ball too soon. So I agree. Um, I kind of don't think he'll play this week unless it really was just like a super minor thing and he can be about the same physically as he was the past few weeks. The one thing I will say, you know, you say, you know, you, you don't want to throw a, a broken quarterback out there against Georgia. And, you don't want to throw a freshman either. You also don't want to put a true freshman or two, two freshmen to get out there against that defense either because they are nasty. This, this is setting up like, and I'll credit Dave Matter with reminding me of this, this is setting up like 2019 when they went to Georgia and Kelly Bryant was like, Eh, he was kind of hurt, but he wasn't super hurt. And they were just like, Taylor Powell, go wear this one, man. And then Basilak came in late. And I remember, I, I still remember just the overexcitement of Missouri fans because Basilak came in and led like a 60-yard drive or something when that game was 27 They got, they got into the red zone for like the first time all right. day. Right. Uh, like, didn't even score. We, Georgia clearly was not trying. And everybody said, I like this Basilak guy. I think he's he's the guy. And. I mean, ultimately, he did end up being the guy. But kind of back to this discussion, I think two things here. I think, yes, Connor Bazelak right now is not the guy for this team. 
he is not good enough at quarterback to make the rest of this team good enough to win games. I also don't really think that guy's on the team right now. Like, I think Basilak's not the right guy to make them good, and I still think he's the best quarterback they have right now. That may not be true in March. It may not be true next August. It may not even be true in three weeks. But right now, I think it's true. And at the same time, I am fully on board now with the people that are going, I just at least prove that to me. At least let me see it. Let me see Brady yeah. Cook or Tyler Macon play. And then if I can see him fail with my own eyes, okay, maybe then you go back to Basilak. But the the backup's always the favorite because nobody has seen him fail yet while we've seen Connor Basilak fail. Um, and I'm not saying you put him out there to let them fail. Maybe you put him out there and, hey, everything changes and, and people rally around him and you win a game you wouldn't otherwise win, right? Maybe if if Brady Cook plays against South Carolina or Tyler Macon plays against South Carolina, you really find something and you carry that over into Florida or Arkansas. So I, I just think at this point, as much of a reactionary message board type thing as it is, I'm kind of with the people that go, I don't know, man, just try it because at least it's different. I, I was, yeah, I was on board with that for sure against AM because that's how yeah. I felt like it was going. I felt like, you know what? They, I mean, they're not going to win this game. So maybe at least see what you got. See if you have something. See if you can get a spark and, and carry it over through the bye or something like that. Um, or, or just, or even that, you know, maybe ignite something in Basilac too to, to, to see someone else go out there and play well. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, and I, I mean, like, I should also point out, we don't know what the deal is with Basilac. We probably won't even find out more tomorrow. We'll find out on Saturday. I would, I mean, like if he doesn't play, I'm expecting we'll see both quarterbacks Saturday. So I think we'll get a chance to at least see them granted in a terrible spot. Like, you know, if they both play bad against Georgia, I'm not going to say neither of them is the guy or anything like that. That's an impossible situation. But yeah, I I think it would be, uh, you know, I I can understand at least why people are, are saying, let me see what we got in the younger guys. And, and Jared kind of articulated what I'm saying. You can't lose confidence as a quarterback. It's the only position where the lack of confidence makes the whole offense suffer. I don't know if it's the only one, but it's the only position where you can make a change and it can just even sometimes against anything that makes sense change your team, right? I mean, you're not making a switch at left guard and everybody's going, all right, here we go. We're, we're ready. Everything's different. You can't even do that at running back. You know, it's quarterbacks it's just different than everything else and I don't think by I mean and now I think Eli Drinkwitz actually has the perfect situation to do it if minus the opponent (laughs) well right but I'm just saying he now this isn't benching Connor Basilak regardless of what the injury situation actually is because I think I think he's been hurt the last three weeks like not to a point where he couldn't play. I'm not accusing Drinkwitz of putting out a guy that shouldn't be on the field. But I think he has thought, okay, Connor's 75% or whatever, but I think that's better than 100% of the guys that I have. Well, now you can easily just say, he's just not healthy enough to play. And you can play that other guy, whether it's even tr- whether it's health-related or not, you say it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I also think that, you know, I don't know. I, I think that this whole thing 
it has made some people more anxious to see the backups, which we just talked about, and I understand. But I also think it, it has made me worry a little bit. Like, oh, man, I'm not sure Drinkwitz thinks either of these two. Like, I don't know how highly he thinks of Randy Cook or Tyler Macon. And, and they might just be a right-now thing. Like, Tyler Macon might end up being a really good quarterback. Not many quarterbacks come in and are able to play right away at an SEC level. They just aren't as true freshmen. It's extremely Especially rare. one that so didn't play not, last year. Right. So it's not necessarily saying damning on him long term. But yeah, like I, I also think that um, that, yeah, now now it, I think it would be a little harder for what I'm trying to get is it would be harder for Eli Drinkwitz to pull Connor Bazelak and then put out someone who's going to be way worse. Um, and he if, if, especially if he thinks like, oh, yeah, our, our backups aren't as good. But when Connor Bazelak's injured and he can kind of, you know, use that to make the change, if the next guy's worse, he can say, see, that's kind of why I was sticking with Bazelak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I think regardless, unless unless somebody just lights the world on fire in the next four weeks, which I don't think we really anticipate, I think you go into spring football and then again into fall camp with a – Hey, this is wide open. And I know every coach says it, although Drinkwitz didn't say it this year. He was very clear from the start. Basilac's our guy. Yep. I think going into next fall camp, it is, hey, we got 27 days to figure out who the best quarterback for this team is, and I include Sam Horn in that. I would not rule out Sam Horn being the starting quarterback for Missouri next year. Yeah, obviously he won't be here in the spring because he's right. playing baseball. But yeah, I agree. I think that's the right mindset to go about it with this is this is an open competition. So it, I, I, I will say too, like, I, I know that, you know, people as they get more and more, you know, a look at base lacquer are eager for it to turn around. But like these things can't I, I mean, it's possible. This is a blip like Kenny Pickett, you know, yeah. had he had some rough years. I mean, I, I believe there was a point where they kind of said, like, we're going to have an open competition and see who emerges. And, and look, he's having a great season. So I'm not saying, like, at no point are we trying to say that, you know, him or either the backups, like, can't be the guy long term. But yeah, I think the way you have to go about it is like, all right, well, we've seen so from what we've seen so far, like, we're just going to yeah open it up and see which of those four guys if and addressing a question that Scott asked, probably not all four will still be there, but right. which of these guys emerges next season. And look, it also wouldn't hurt to give him some more weapons in the passing game, to give him an yeah. offensive line that is I, – I wrote this morning, I think if you just go by position, I think where Missouri's biggest flaw is between them and the teams they want to be is the offensive line. I, I mean, the defense has, has been terrible this year, but I don't look at Missouri's defense just physically or in games and say, well, they can't possibly play with even mid-level SEC teams. I kind of see that out of the offensive line a lot of times, to be quite honest. Um, and Mitch mentioned a, a comment that was made, and we do invite you guys. I'm going to go back and hit a couple of questions and comments. Please, uh, if you're here with us live, we certainly appreciate that. Hit the like button. Put the comments there. We are going to get to them. We always kind of just uh, you know, BS for, for 15, 20 minutes about what we want to talk about, but then we spend the second half of the show uh, certainly focus on, on, on more of your guys' comments and Cam Cameron says, my biggest takeaway from this season is that Tyler Beatty was criminally underused the past three years. And, um, I mean, I think if you go back through his true freshman year, that wasn't – that's not true. I remember we were at the Purdue game, Mitch, where game-winning drive and Tyler Beatty's the running back, and we're both going, hold on, what what the hell? And he made a huge play on that drive, and, and it worked. So I think he was used the right amount that year. I think it's fair to say he was underutilized the last two, no question. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, it's hard to second-guess last year because Roundtree was so good, but, man, yeah, I think you, we could have seen a little bit more Beatty out there just because of what we're seeing from him now. I mean, he's he's been even more productive from a, you know, yards per carry standpoint, even though he's carrying a, a – than he was last year, even though he's carrying an extreme – like, an insane workload. You know, he's touching the ball like 24.6 times a game or something like that. So, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's fair to say that uh, we should have seen more Tyler Beatty before this year. That said, uh, if we see too much more Tyler Beatty, before this year who knows maybe he's not around this year <laughs> right he's, right he's a good player he might have gone pro but but let's talk about that for a minute you said Roundtree was was so good last year and I think that was the feeling right all of last mm-hmm. year he had 209 carries for 972 yards he averaged 4.6 a carry I think he was great at what Missouri needed he helped grind it out if you needed one yard, he was usually going to get two. If you needed four, he was usually going to get five. In the red zone, he was money. He had 14 touchdowns. 4.65 yards a carry is not special. He had 209 carries, and Tyler Beatty had 49. And every single week, Eli Drinkwitz would tell us, yeah, I've really got to find a way to use Tyler more. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, you tell your kids, yeah, hey, ask me in a couple hours. Maybe we'll go to the pumpkin patch. Well, ask, ask me a couple hours later, and, and then you just end up with no pumpkins on Halloween, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I like, so I guess I'm wondering now, especially with Beatty getting 99.2% of the carries or whatever it's been, does he get a little too locked in on his best guy to the detriment of developing other and now obviously Tyler Beatty was plenty developed he's good this year so who knows maybe BJ Harris or Elijah Young or somebody breaks out next year and he's the guy but has there been a balance that should have been struck that hasn't or is that stupid because then you're taking the ball away from the only real guy on your offense yeah, yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's where, where it stems from. It's like Drinkwitz has a guy in Roundtree last year maybe this year who he trusts, and he says, you know, good things happen when we get this guy the ball, so let's get him the ball a lot. And I think this year I can't fault him for it. I know there's been a lot of talk about, like, oh, gosh, we need to play someone else. And, and maybe at times, you know, like late in games that have been somewhat decided. But, like, this past weekend, I, w- I would not have given Tyler Beatty a single less touch. I wrote at halftime. I would consider giving him the ball every play because he is by far the best thing going for this team. I mean, you know, you, you don't risk you you eliminate the risk of you know interception for the and you most have part. to win it's handoff or dump off and yeah you have to win that game. Last year though, yeah, I mean like at this point, I I, I remember saying at the time, but now it's for sure. Like I mean, the Tyler made a need to the ball more. I don't think I think it's it's pretty much impossible to ask. Do I think that results would result in them winning any more games? No, probably not. I mean they you know, right because they were their losses were all by like twenty four points. Got blown out in all their losses. It probably whatever. Yeah, it probably doesn't really change that much. But, but yes, I do think that, that he, we can now say that he probably deserved to have the ball more. And ultimately, we'll find out, should somebody have else, else have had the ball more by what we see next year, right? I, I right. mean, if, if B.J. Harris comes out and he's a 1,000-yard rusher next year, it might be kind of like, oh, why well, he didn't save a few uh, carries on Beatty's legs. But we'll find that out when we find it out. Steph brings up what I think is a pretty interesting point. Wide receiver – rotation thoughts after the Vandy game where were Lovett and Hester I think we had JJ Hester with like 15 snaps yeah we had Dominic Lovett with eight I texted you in the middle of the third quarter and said hang on is Dominic Lovett playing in this game like I I forgot he existed in that game 
Yeah, it was weird. So first of all, they they really cut down the wide receiver rotation because of injury. And usually they substitute those guys like crazy. And basically what happened is Kiki Chisholm played every snap, I believe. Towski Dove played almost all but like all the snaps. six or something. And Barrett Bannister, pretty much every time they had a third receiver on the field, Barrett Bannister was out there. You know, obviously they had sometimes with all personnel, two tight ends. But uh, yeah, and then uh, when they went four wide, it seemed to be Hester and Dominic Love had only played seven snaps. So it, it was weird, and I definitely think something to ask you like Drinkwitz tomorrow, just like, hey, is, is Dominic Love healthy? What's, what's kind of the deal with that? Um, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit strange there for sure. And it brings up kind of a larger point that we talked about a little bit. I mean. We're eight games in. If the recruiting is as good as it was supposed to have been last year, should and now Dominic Lovett's played a lot this year, so maybe that's unfair. But like in game eight, should Towski Dove, Barrett Bannister, and Kiki Chisholm be getting ninety percent of the snaps if the if the youth on this team is supposed to be that good? Right. I think just the weird thing is like, okay, why did it go backwards with yeah. a guy who we seem to be pretty good when he touched the ball? I mean, I think was it the AM game this past game, or maybe it was two games ago against North Texas when he scored. He had several yeah, North Texas. Uh, you know, yeah, he had several several nice plays. So yeah, I mean like I, I, I almost I counted it. The simplest explanation in my mind would be that it's a physical thing because right. you know, he's had a pretty consistent workload and he's done pretty good things, so it doesn't really make sense to completely freeze him out of the game plan, but who knows? Well and JJ Hester, like they took the one deep shot and it wasn't a perfect pass. It could have been caught. I, I don't know. But I, know, I actually thought that was a bad throw. Because when you saw it was replay, a little bit if he had led him to the right side more, he could have actually run under it and I think run away from the defender. It wasn't a, it, an atrocious throw, but I thought it, it was not a good throw. wasn't a horrible pass. wasn't a horrible effort on the receiver's part. Both could have done a little more to make it work. But then I don't think he was targeted again. The one that still remains weird to me is – I. Why would Boo Smith come back next year yeah. to return punts? I, I mean, I'm actually not sure that I'm not sure that he was. Uh, I don't know. I, so I, I saw him come off the sideline after Tyler okay, Macon's he touchdown. There? He was there. Okay. Because okay. Yeah. okay, all right. He wasn't on the injury report, but he wasn't in practice from what I saw when we were there on Tuesday. So I was wondering, like, and he, I, I didn't. Was he back there to return punts? Maybe he was. I don't, I don't know. know if he returned but. punts, but I do know that. Like I watched the the replay of Tyler Macon's touchdown, and Dominic Lovett and Boo Smith were the first guys off the sideline to hug Macon after that play. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I take it back. He was clearly there and healthy, and maybe I I, I wasn't at this game, so I didn't have as good a grasp on the personnel. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I, very, I find it weird that he didn't play at all. Like we've said, I mean, like good things happen typically when he touches the ball, so at least give him a few looks. And he's played some. It's like twenty five or thirty snaps all year. I mean, right. you know, it's just they basically when they put him out there, it's a dead giveaway. Hey, we're going to throw him the ball. We're just not going to put him out there very much. So, um, yeah, I find that interesting. Um, I don't know. Snoop points out that it's not like Mizzou has a history of beating top teams. I don't know that anything we've said on this show would indicate that we believe they do, um, you know, but I guess that's more yeah. toward this weekend that Mizzou is probably not going to win, which. I, I think that's a fair assessment, right? We both probably agree with that. Yeah, I would say that the, the odds are. I feel pretty good about the fact that Mizzou will not win. Yeah, yeah. So um, I do think I feel like we I feel like we need to start making a bigger deal out of the non-covering streak. I mean, eleven straight games we don't cover is truly incredible. I'm fairly convinced Eli Drinkwitz is betting against his own team. Well, let's we're joking, guys. We got we got to say we're joking here. We don't really believe that, but like it's. It's tough to do. 
Um, because, I mean, Vegas doesn't set lines where they're like, okay, we know how this one's going to go, so let's just set it a little higher. So No, because then they would lose money, right? I mean, right. Vegas is – like I always say, they don't build those big buildings by being wrong. They have been wrong every single week against this team. It's It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more or less like flipping a coin and having it come up on one side 11 straight times, which, by the way, Mizzou has also lost a coin toss in, like, every Have game. Have they really? Year. I, don't, I don't know if it's every game, but it's a lot. I, I kind of need to – I kind of want to go back and look because I'm just curious. I thought about it the other day because that's why they're always in the position where the other team's getting the ball first to start the second half and Drinkwitz is worried about it because the other team wins into first every well, game. Well, I think they should actually intentionally lose the coin toss every week because if they win the coin toss – then they have to decide to either go against, you know, common wisdom and put their offense out first and take the ball, or they have to make the choice to put their defense out there first. And that's not really somewhere I'd want to be going. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The defense started off okay on Saturday until Connor Baselock threw that interception and then yeah. everything just melted for about two quarters. Well, and that, that was like, we talked about this on I don't get it. Like, it was like one play happened, and the comparison I made was like Kim Anderson's team would be up eight, and the other team would hit a three, and you'd go, oh, well, here here comes the run, right? And it wasn't just like a 10-2 run. It was like a 27-6 run, and the game was over. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, again, the game would have been over had they not been playing Vanderbilt, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. All right, let's – Cam's other question here, and you mentioned it, but I think it's worth talking about. How many of Cook, Macon, and Basilak are still at Mizzou next year? If I set the under at 1.5, do you take the over or the under? I take the over. I, I, I think agree. probably one of them leaves. I'd be surprised if two of them leave. That, that's how I feel. I mean, and again, we're not trying to push anybody out the door, but it's the reality of the position, and they have Sam Horn coming in. We have said all along, of Cook, Basilak, and Horn, two of those three, or I'm sorry, Cook, Macon, and Horn, two of those three guys almost certainly will not end their career at Missouri. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, yeah. at some point, yeah. two of them are leaving. Yeah, that's fair. And I would also say, talking about like the situation, I wouldn't be stunned if all of those guys come back for the spring and maybe even for the fall. But I think once the depth chart starts to crystallize a little bit, whoever's fourth is going to be like, mm, eh, I'm out of here. And the interesting thing about Basilak to me is, I mean, he is still technically a redshirt freshman, right? Now he is draft yeah. eligible after this year. Nobody thinks Connor Basilak is going pro. But let's say you get to the end of next year. And he is the starter next year, which I think he's the favorite. I don't think it's a given that he's the starter, but I think he's probably the favorite to be the starting quarterback next year. But you're at the end of year four. With two years of eligibility left, like he all of a sudden becomes a kid who could grad transfer somewhere. You know, Mm -hmm. because I just kind of don't look at him and, and see, even in two, three years, like I don't really see NFL quarterback there. So, you know, maybe he's a guy that maybe after year four, he's like, hey, man, I appreciate everything's been good here. You've got some younger guys. I'm going to finish my career at a different place. Yeah, no, that's very possible. Maybe he's just like, yeah, going to play football for a while and be like a doctor when it's all said and done. That'd be cool. Be in school forever. (laughs) Good for him. Um, Good for him. Jared points out, by the way, that Boo Smith did return punts at the game. Um Jeff says, what is Missouri going to do about the defense? It seems like they have more talent than they are performing. And, um, Jeff, I do not want to, like, 
come off as being snarky about this, but literally it's, I, I don't know, it's eight weeks in a row that we're all asking. It's not just you. We've all asked that question. Um, and the defense wasn't better on Saturday, okay? I mean, Vanderbilt ran for, what was it, 280? 258. 258, okay. And I, I know people want to say, well, but there were two long runs in it. Well, yeah, but those count. I mean, they averaged seven <laughs> yards every time they ran the ball. Right, it's, and who's to say if they if they had only gotten 20 yards on those two runs, they wouldn't have continued to march down the field. Exactly. And the the, the actual distressing part to me, I distressing is probably too strong of a word, but interesting, was, <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest, man. Mike Wright can't throw. Like, yeah. he's not a passer. He is not an SEC quarterback. With the weapons he has and the way he throws the football, he threw three touchdown passes. Like, he wasn't great, yeah. but... I mean, one of those, the first one was not a pass. It was, I mean, okay. it was basically a handoff. It was a jet sweep okay. where he just right. did the little toss. But right. still, yes, I, I get your point. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I know the defense was bad. It's, I don't know. I mean, And it's going to be bad the rest was, of the year. Right. If there was something they could have done about it to fix it, I would hope they would have done it by now. So I don't I don't see it getting dramatically better unless I don't know, maybe one of these games down the stretch the opponent will just like inexplicably pass sixty percent of the time and throw three picks or something like that. I mean, it, it I don't think they do prop bets on college football games. What would the over under be on Georgia rushing yards? Three mm, fifty? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say somewhere in the low three hundreds. Yeah, probably. Just because yeah, they would run out of time to run for more, right. they would. They wouldn't run enough. I'm not sure they'll run enough plays. But and it depends. You know, maybe we were talking before the game. Like I, I, my favorite prop that I came up with with this game is who scores more points, the Mizzou offense or the Georgia defense. And like if they get so, you know, if they get like a, a turnover in a short field or a defensive score, then that's even fewer plays their offense is running. So uh, yeah, yeah, I would say somewhere around 300. Here's another good prop bet. How many does Georgia hit double digits in pass attempts? I think maybe uh, not. I mean, yeah, no, probably because of, I mean, so many passes, you know, football, they say so many passes are just like extensions of the run game. You throw a little screen, a little slant, you know, maybe a, yeah, I don't know, a shovel pass or something like that and those count. Uh, I, I definitely think you would go under if, you, if you're talking about like 10 attempts of 10 or more yards. I mean, even on third and 12, like just run a draw play. It's going to work. We've seen it. Yeah, we've seen that many times. I, I would, I would legitimately not throw a pass if I was Kirby Smart. And he... Yeah, seems to really hate throwing passes, so I think that's possible. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he would probably be happy just handing the ball off every play and just yeah. still winning by a lot of points. All right, so Snoop kind of clarified what he meant. He says, even Mizzou's 10-win seasons, a lot came against Vandy-level competition. Some did, but, like, you can't win eight games and only beat Vanderbilt and teams right. like that, right? To get to eight, it means you're winning games like Boston College and like Tennessee. The problem this year is not that Missouri isn't going to beat Georgia. The problem with this year is that the swing games, they haven't won. That, And, and I think looking back, it's probably a little unfair to have called Kentucky and Lexington a swing game. That was a clear underdog game. Um, but like Tennessee was the definition of a swing game. So was BC and those weren't close. And that's why instead of, you know, six and two, we're talking about four and four. 
Yep, yep exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what we were saying. When you were saying, like, the, the dirty little secret of college football is you can be pretty good by not by beating bad teams. It's more so not beating great teams. Like Just beating can, average. But you have to be, yeah, solid teams. I mean, you know, you have to beat, yeah, uh, you know, Tennessee, Florida in a year like this when they're a little down or in the years when Mizzou won the SEC East and they were a little down, you know, South Carolina, Kentucky, stuff like that. But then the odd part is, Okay, if we say Tennessee and BC are average teams, right? Well, if Missouri wins those games, Tennessee and BC are actually both sitting here three and five, and all of a sudden we're saying they're bad teams, right? So right. you beat you yeah. you kind of make them bad teams by beating them is the weird part. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, if Missouri can find four more bad teams, they're going to end up eight and four because they've beaten all the really bad teams this year. They just yeah, haven't been I don't know that either. there's any any teams quite as bad. I mean, like, even they will have to beat a better team than they've beat so far this season to win another game. I'm not saying oh, I don't yeah. think they will. No but question. South Carolina is a better team than any of the teams they beat this season. Well, that should make you all feel better, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good place to end it. So, uh, all right, Mitch, appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you again on Wednesday. Well, I mean, I'll catch up with you before then, but the rest of these fine people won't, so. All right, uh, Mitchell Forty, join us. Appreciate that, and want to also thank True Sun Exteriors and Interiors. They are our partners on this show every single week. Uh, True Sun is a local company which is looking to upgrade your new or existing home. Sometimes you need a professional to come see the space and make it work for you. The team over at True Sun was voted the best of Columbia 2021 when it comes to home remodeling. Their experienced team can do it all. It's not just a name. It's a passion. True Sun Exteriors and Interiors. Call them today at 573-442-7292. Get in touch with Barry and his team over there, um, you guys can commiserate a little bit about Mizzou football while the guys are over uh, getting their work done. But if you take too much of their time doing that, probably take them a little longer to get their actual work done. So appreciate all you guys joining us. If you're watching here live, do me a favor. Before you log off, just hit the like button. If you are listening on the podcast, which I will post momentarily after this, leave us a nice review, leave us some nice comments, and uh, spread the word about what we're doing here. We'll have Sean Williams tomorrow afternoon with me on the recruiting show. That's kind of, I think, the focus and in, in where a lot of Missouri fans are, are looking this time of year. So we'll do the recruiting show tomorrow. Mitch will be back with me on Wednesday. And then at that point, our attention turns a little bit to Mizzou, Georgia and whatever that might be this weekend. So thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later on.